Would you like to have a conversation with Kevin? Then call 800-243-9719. And now, here's your host, Kevin Conover. Bring your time. Welcome to Educate for Life. I'm your host, Kevin Conover. My website is educateforlife.org. And we are also um, airing on On FM 106.1 North County, AM 1210 San Diego, Capri. Very good, very good. Thank you. Uh, I, I've got some help today uh, from my guest. He's lessening my burdens and uh, mm-hmm. helping me to, you know, be able to talk to the radio program here today. So, uh, praise the Lord for that. My guest is Brooks Gibbs, and uh, I've known him for a little while, not real well, but we're getting to know each other better and better. We spent a lot of time texting yesterday, which was exciting. But let me tell you a little bit about Brooks before I uh, let him get into what he covers here. He's an award-winning social skills educator. He teaches students, parents, and teachers how to build emotional resilience and live by the golden rule. He's the author of Raise Them Strong, and he's he's, uh, been a speaker at over 2,500 schools. He's reached over 2 million students face-to-face, and he has more than 250 million views worldwide on his viral videos on YouTube. So, uh, Brooks, thanks for being here today. Man, I love you, Kevin. You admi- I, I, I admire you, bro, and I love it when you invite me uh, to have stimulating conversation because you're such a brain and a heart. <laughs> I, that, you know, I, I feel very flattered right now. Thanks. I didn't, I didn't pay him to say any of that. Uh, Brooks, you're all the way from? Florida. 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 What's, the, what's the weather like in Florida right now? It's basic. Your glasses, if you wore them, <laughs> would fog up outside the air conditioner. It's humid, but you know it's great. If you tell yourself you love the climate, you'll begin to love the climate. It's cognitive behavioral therapy. So oh. I love the heat. <laughs> what about the bugs? They're, Is they're, that cognitive behavioral therapy too? Well, that's actually ZD virus, so <laughs> that's objective harm. Oh, okay. It doesn't so work. It's kind of, unless you like, like being harmed, it's, right. it doesn't work out. <laughs> no masochism. Okay, there we go. That's what I was thinking. Okay, so what we're going to talk about today, I think, is a really significant issue. It's huge. I've got a 12, 9, and 7-year-old, and I'm trying to do my best to raise them to be you know, kids that love the Lord and are able to manage all the difficulties that come in relationships and mm. especially I'm honestly I'm a little fearful I've homeschooled my kids for the past two years they're going back to school right now and I'm thinking to myself okay I hope my kids can manage all the relationships I I remember when I was their age going to school and I was in a lot of fights there were a lot of people that said things to me I didn't like I, I just going back it was kind of a a lot of struggle and I, I know a lot of kids are going through that. A lot of parents are concerned about their kids going through that. And this is a lot of what, this is what you do. I mean, this is your job. You are a professional at helping people yeah. manage this sort of thing. So tell us a little bit about what you do. Well, I think, simply put, I'm a resilience educator. I've discovered that if you can build up the emotional resilience of a child, they're not offended in the first place. And if there's no offense, there's no conflict. No conflict, no problem. So it's really raising their res- uh, emotional uh, resilience by raising their frustration tolerance. Most children have low frustration tolerance. They get easily triggered, easily upset. And the toxicity that you find in homes amongst sibling rivalry situations are, there's a child that loves to bother, there's another child that's easily bothered. And if there's more than two, then the other one finds out who's the most volatile child and they will join you know, the aggressive child. And, uh, and so you've got chronic victimization. Uh, so we, it's sort of a backdoor approach. The front door approach is moralizing with children. Why did you say that to her? Why did you push her? Why, why are you, you know, not letting her out of her room or whatever? Uh, which is not very uh, helpful. 
Uh, and Aristotle said 2,400 years ago, one thing government or government entities like parents, authority figures can never do is make people moral. So trying to enforce the golden rule is, if you think about it, a violation of the golden rule. You wouldn't want to make someone make you nice, right? I mean, that's, that's not a freedom. That's not fun. And you actually feel controlled and dominated. So oftentimes our moralizing with children, giving them ethical lectures, uh, actually increases hostilities. Um, instead, the backdoor approach is who's the one that's volatile? Who's the target? Who's the weak one? Well, I'm going to raise her strong or raise him strong. I'm going to teach him how not to be easily angered or upset and how to respond to their aggressive brother or sister in a way that will disarm them and get them to you know, be left alone. So mm. uh, I have discovered that uh, Scripture is true. The wise man said, above all else, guard your heart, for out of your heart flows issues of life. And resilience education is the, the study of guarding one's heart. That's awesome. Now, does this have anything to do with, um, there's a popular word out there right now in, in the culture, grit, that word grit. Is that, is, are grit and resilience related? Uh, absolutely. Same word. Uh, okay. Grit is a, a synonym of resilience and the definition of both would be leveraging adversity for psychological growth. So it's not just about bouncing back or enduring or springing back to your original form or state. It's actually viewing the negative circumstance, whether it's an adversity or an adversary, as advantageous to you. That I leverage that for psychological growth. This is one of the best things that's ever happened to me. And uh, this is this is one of the best things that's ever happened to you personally. Personally, yeah. And this is this is. I mean, psychologists try to do this. You get a girl who's raped, or you get a guy who comes back from you know PTSD frontline, and you say, "Well, are you? You were definitely an acute victim. This happened to you. There's nothing that you did wrong. Yeah, that you did not contribute to your suffering when it happened. It happened to you, and this is really sad. You are a true victim, but we don't want you to become a chronic victim." That means view yourself in perpetual victimization for the rest of your life because that's when you can't sleep, you need medication, you have night terrors, you start treating people poorly, you start creating phobias and fears. So we're going to have to reframe this whole negative event so that you can view yourself as an overcomer, as a conqueror, as, you know what, I, I hate what happened to me. I wish that person didn't do that, but I love how strong I am and who I am coming through this whole process. So I'm using the example of real sad and sick trauma, but that same psychological principle that is used every day with psychologists and psychiatrists can be used in the parenting to be able to say, let's view this negative conflict as an opportunity uh, so that you can learn resilience. Now, could this be used with your spouse too? I think, uh, you know, I get people come to me all the time saying, I think you just saved my marriage. Like, I know how to <laughs> not be so triggered yeah. by my spouse. So yeah, it's just human relationships. It's yeah. boss narcissistic yahoos that you're under and you, you want them to stop controlling you psychologically. Emotional resilience is absolutely key to all relational mm. success. You know, um, I, I was in a discussion with my wife the other day and she was mad at me for something. And I said to her, honey, you're so beautiful when you're angry. <laughs> and, and is this the kind of thing you're talking about that we actually, uh, you know, because uh, she immediately, it, it immediately deflated the argument. And, yeah. and she was like, be quiet, you jerk. Yeah. But <laughs> yeah. Well, so, is this really a counseling session? Uh, you know what? Uh, you I, said it was a podcast. I want to get as much out of this as I can. <laughs> I'm so. doing this for free. Man, no, it is like that. It, uh, it, 
what you did was called patronizing a little bit. It's uh, <laughs> oh, that's not good. No, but it's very effective <laughs> oh, okay. with potential enemies. Oh, okay. It's it's just smiling, not getting upset, and saying something to completely out of left field throw them off their game, and so they're out of their they're out of their um, their mode of attack. Oh, interesting. Okay. Yeah. So and I and if you look at emojis, technical, uh, technical term for that. yeah, the okay. the the Asian people are masters at patronizing. They have actual emojis dedicated to patronizing emotions. So there are lots of whites around their people. And they're smiling like this, but they're totally, you know, <laughs> I'm sorry you're a jerk. I hope you have a nice day sort of look. Uh, but we do need to teach this to kids. But but when it comes to someone you actually care about, like your wife, that's not the best strategy. Okay. Uh, you want to be genuine. Uh, well, I if, was being sincere. Yeah. I, I felt like she was really beautiful. Yeah, but what could have come before <laughs> that is I'm sorry. Yeah. You know, if you could have said I'm sorry for and then exactly what she's upset with you and then tag that on, it would have been probably... Uh, Better, yeah, you healthier for our yeah, relationship. You might have got a kiss out of it. Right? Okay. <laughs> <laughs> that sounds good. Um, so I, I feel like this is so critically important. Um, you know, in our culture today, uh, this, what you're talking about, has an impact everywhere. I mean, it's everywhere. And especially in our culture, which is incredibly hostile right now. Mm. I mean, uh, when we talk about left versus right, and, and if you get into politics and religion or whatever it is, atheist versus Christian, whatever, um, there's a lot of hostility. And it seems like people have lost, I don't know if you want to call it the art or what, of just being civil, of being mm -hmm. able to have a good discussion without going crazy and taking everything so personally that you can no longer actually um, have dialogue. a- Yeah, dialogue. You can't dialogue. You're yeah. so emotionally wrapped up. Is that, do you see that also? Is that- I think so. I think it's just a lack of love. And one of my favorite passages in scripture is 1 Corinthians 13. It says, love is two things. Love- suffers long and is kind. So resilience is embedded in the definition of love. And this is agapeo, the highest form of love. No greater love is a man than this who'd laid on his life for a friend. Uh, that type of extreme love that is needed uh, is first patient. It has the ability to endure a difficult person or an EGR, extra grace required character. And you say, you know what? I'm, And it's also the, the virtue of meekness. Meekness is, has this built-in ability to not be triggered. I could so windmill kick you right now in the face, but I'm not going to. <laughs> it's what we want to see in cops. They have the power to pop a cap, mm. but they're also called peace officers, not just law enforcers, and so they need to have some level of restraint. So because our culture has changed, uh, now anger has become a virtue. You woke, bro. Speak your truth. You know what I mean? That's kind of the, the, the lingo, yeah. and people want to see you woke, but... Unfortunately, it, it lacks love. And if you say something without love, you're a clinging symbol and you don't persuade hearts. Mm, amen. My guest today is Brooke Gibbs. You can check him out at brooksgibbs.com. He speaks all over the country. And uh, if you are interested in having him speak uh, at your school, he's fantastic. We've actually had him out at our school and uh, he was a huge blessing. So please check that out. He also has something called globalschoolassembly.com if you want to check that out. That's awesome. And he has an online training too, which we'll be talking a little bit more about in the uh, next segments. So stay with us. We're going to be right back.
Save money by taking good care of your car. Call Conover Tires Wheels and Service in Oceanside. Locally owned and operated since 1991 with all the brands you trust. See their great customer reviews and special offers at ConoverTires.com. Dan and his team are proud to support Educate for Life with Kevin Conover. They even sell affordable, reliable used cars and enclosed trailers. Conover Tires, 2405 Oceanside Boulevard, 760-439-1631. being with us today. This is Educate for Life. I'm your host, Kevin Conover. We are here in Southern California on FM 106.1 KPraise and AM 1210 down here in San Diego. But we're also on YouTube. We're on Facebook. We're on Periscope. We're all over the social media. So uh, all kinds of fantastic shows that are up uh, there. We've got over 100 shows now with interviews with people from all over the world who are testifying to how Jesus Christ has impacted their life and how uh, he has changed their life and how he's continuing to bless them and use them to impact the the world with the love of God. Kevin, did you know you passed the million mark on your views on YouTube? Oh, thanks, Brooks, for bringing that up. That Congratulations, thank bro. You. That thank you. That is an awesome accomplishment. Yeah, that's awesome. Yeah, we just passed the million, uh, million views mark, so that's very exciting. <laughs> really cool. And... Uh, so if you uh, want to contribute to that, if you want to subscribe, we'd love that. Uh, love your support. My guest today is Brooks Gibbs, and uh, he is uh, brooksgibbs.com. He's a speaker on raising emotionally strong children. And Brooks, on your website, you actually have a, a little thing here. It says, excuse me, it says, are you raising an emotionally strong child? person can put in their information and they can, can watch a, a video on this. This is really um, interesting to me. What would you say are the top, indicators that somebody is raising an emotionally strong child versus somebody who looks at their child and goes, man, I need to adjust what I'm doing with my parenting. Well, children who are emotionally strong um, do not feel helpless. They know how to solve their social problems. They know how to protect and manage their emotions. They also can take and make a joke about their flaws. They also don't get easily triggered when someone uses a word like a name calling or a criticism. Uh, they don't stay upset for a long time if uh, they're excluded from a party or a team or something like this. And uh, they can t- take a, a push or a shove or a provocation without flying off the handle in anger. So there are very uh, specific 10 items, actually, that I measure in a resilience test that parents get for free when they go to my website, brooksgibbs.com, and, and they uh, get that free resource and watch the video. They can actually give their children what I call a self-reporting um, resilient, socio-emotional resiliency scale, which is a 10-item, very simple, measure the strength or the weakness of their children emotionally. Um, emotionally weak child is the opposite. They're easily, they don't think that they can solve their problems. They're constantly asking for you to solve their problems. So it's a vic- chronic victimization. Uh, they can't stand words. They think words are violent. Uh, the speech is violence. They, they, they demand that no one makes fun of their flaws or even knows about their flaws. They have approval addiction, constantly wanting to be approved by others, and they have a, a, a need for performance, uh, for a sense of self-worth. Uh, so if they continue in this way, they, they're definitely going to struggle their whole life with relationships and very likely to create more uh, mental illness issues. Like the roots of all mental illness come down to uh, 
approval addiction and a perform a need for performance for approval. Well, that's a pretty uh, that's a pretty bold statement. Um, yeah. The, say that one more time. So the root to all mental illness is based actually on six things, uh, and the first is uh, a need to perform. So I must perform well. It's perfectionism, and then it's approval. I must be approved by important people or I'm inadequate. So that's my self complex, if you will. But when it comes to others, the two items are you must be fair. So there's a, a belief of equality that if there's not equality, then I'm, there's injustice and I'm victimized. So you must be fair and not frustrate me or block my goals or get in my way from what I want or you deserve punishment. And that's where rage and retaliation Come. And the final one is towards life. Life must be comfortable, so there's entitlement, um, or, and, and give me what I want, or it's unbearable. So th this was all pioneered by 70 years of psychotherapy, specifically Dr. Albert Ellis from Rational Motive Behavioral Therapy, who's the most celebrated psychiatrist uh, of all time, even above Freud. And they've discovered, yes, it's the victim mindset that is the root to all uh, mental illness and dysfunction. Wow, that's so interesting. And boy, talk about appropriate for our times. I mean, I, I would say we have a culture that is uh, yeah. a victimized culture. It is. Um, so why is this not more well known? Uh, because people who, uh, well, I think it goes back to uh, this belief that people are entitled. Anytime you have like entitlement programs uh, and, and it comes from a good place but the road to hell is paved with good intentions, right? The sociologists have a thing called the law of unintended negative consequences. We meant to do good, but it backfired. And that's just about any political idea seems to backfire. Anytime the government inserts themselves to solve a problem, there's an unintended negative consequence. I was at the epicenter of Littleton, Colorado at, when the shooting happened. And uh, I didn't go to that school, but my friends did. And that was the birthplace of the anti-bullying movement. And it was interesting how the government came in and now created this whole anti-bullying industry, which I'm actually part of, you know, one of the leading voices in it. But I, I speak polar opposite from almost everybody else. And what they really teach is words hurt, words wound, words kill. No one has the right to be mean to you. And if they do, the government has to punish and you are entitled to a life with no people problems. And I come in saying, no, if you are trying to change reality, to accommodate a child's preferences, you're going to disturb that child. But if you help that child adjust to reality and be flexible in their thinking and have the tools they need to cope with difficulty, you're going to help that child succeed. Yeah. So we've created a victim of uh, emotional marshmallows. They're known as snowflakes. They consume more antidepressants and, uh, than, uh, than the entire global population in every country combined. Our adolescent from 13 to 28 consume more antidepressants than the entire globe, and, and colleges are maxed out. It's just sad, dude. We live in a very victimized... So I always say, hey, parents, you don't have to raise a kid like that. You could raise them strong if you teach them to take personal responsibilities for their own feelings and personal responsibility to solve their own problems. So there's this, this you know, uh, sticks and stones may break my bones, but words will never hurt me. Mm -hmm. And, you know, right now there's a pushback against that. They, people say... No, no, no. Words will. Words, right. words will hurt you. But also, you know, the Bible says that uh, the tongue is a flame, mm -hmm. right? It can set the whole world on fire, mm -hmm. too. And who can control it? And I think that's the key to that verse. No one can control the tongue. So you're, you're going to be in a world full of hate. 
So a soft answer will turn away wrath, mm. right? Love is first patient and then kind. Why does it need to be patient? Unless the object of the love it's dealing with is hostile. Love your enemies. Well, why would I, how do I love my enemies? By being patient with them and having a soft answer return away wrath. And the sticks and stones slogan, you're right. I mean, they're saying sticks and stones break my bones, but words scar for life. And I'm like, study that phrase, bro. 1863 was the first time it was ever published in the African Methodist Episcopal Church, the AIM denomination. And it was by African-American slaves who knew the Emancipation Proclamation was going to be signed. Their children were going to grow up in a completely free world as opposed to them, which they were in bondage. And they said, if you're going to have happiness, you need to differentiate between objective harm like sticks and stones and subjective harm like words and insults. If they hit you with a stick or a stone, that might break your bone. Watch out. But if they call you a word, if you don't give that word power, it won't have power. Mm. And so it was an empowering statement. And, uh, and it's sad that people are throwing out history. Yeah. And uh, we're, we're seeing this all over the place. I mean, I see this on the news on, on a regular basis that what's happening is they're saying that words are objective harm. And this is the whole hate speech thing and everything right. that's coming along there. Right. When really it's, it could be love speech. It could be actually, I'm loving you and I'm trying to tell you the truth. Uh, and I may be all lit, you know, and, and, and I'm, my body's vibrating with emotion and it may sound like I'm screaming. Uh, and I'm, you know, we should speak the truth confidently in love the way we'd want to hear it. But no, speech can only hurt you uh, if, if you process those words in a way that would disturb you. Now, obviously, if it's a threat of violence, you know, like they say, fighting word clause or something like that. Yeah. Then, then the First Amendment doesn't apply. But or you know, slander or, or yeah, right. libel. That or does cause like objective that. harm. You yeah. lose your job, reputation. Yeah. Or, or you or you cause somebody else to want to murder somebody or right. something like or, that. Right. Incite violence yeah. or fire in a crowded room. Yeah. But the vast majority of speech needs to be free. Okay. Stay free. And and this is a, this is a question I want to ask you too because I, I find this very interesting. There was a a woman who was um, interviewing a very uh, popular guy. You probably are, know who he is, Jordan Peterson. Yeah. And uh, the woman asked him. She said, uh, "Why does your right to free speech take precedence over their right not to be offended?" And I thought that was a, a kind of a startling uh, question she asked. And I'm curious to see um, your perspective on that. And why is free speech so important? in mm -hmm. your mind why is it more important that me as the individual that's receiving this speech be able to deal with what i'm hearing rather than the rest of the world conforming to my need uh, not to be offended right okay so stay with us my guest today is brooks gibbs it's a fantastic conversation very relevant very timely i think this stuff uh this applies to so many areas of life um including my own family it's on a, on a very personal level too um to be able to raise my kids to be able to be resilient and strong and be able to uh, thrive in the world today. So stay with us. We're going to be right back. How can you live in San Diego and miss out on enjoying the water? Fast Lane Kayaking sells popular Hobie Cat kayaks that you pedal, not paddle. That means your hands are left free for fishing and fun. Just throw these on your roof rack. They're light and they're easy to use and maintain. Just rinse them off. Try one free on a demo ride. For 36 years, Ron and Debbie Lane have served San Diego with fun, family-friendly water sports of all kinds. Learn more. FastLaneSailing.com. Six one nine two 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 zero seven sixty six. 
Thanks for listening today. I hope you're having a great Friday. This is Educate for Life. I'm your host, Kevin Conover. And uh, we are, my website, educateforlife.org, is a great place to go if you want to learn to defend the Bible, if you want to learn to share your faith, if you want to learn, you, if you want answers to all the questions people have about God, the Bible, Jesus Christ, you know, who wrote the Bible? How do I know Christianity is true? What about all the other religions in the world? What about the creation evolution issue? All these sorts of things. Um, I've been teaching these subjects for 12 years now, and um, I put it all online as a useful tool for you to be able to teach your children, for you to learn yourself, whatever the case. Um, but my guest today is Brooks Gibbs, and he also has a training course, but it's specifically on raising resilient children, emotionally strong children. And uh, one of the questions, Brooks, that I wanted to ask you, that's brooksgibbs.com, by the way, if you want to check that out. One of the questions I want to ask you is, um, is there a standard, like a scale by which I can look at my situation with my children and I can say, okay, by this age, I would hope that they've achieved this. Um, like I told you before, I have a 12, 9, and 7-year-old, and I'm, I'm curious to know, uh, what is it, what, what is the age at which they should begin to develop these abilities not to be so... Um, Volatile. Volatile. Yeah. So I would say, do they have the ability to learn? And learning happens in, in four stages, you know, and, and this can be applied in anything, not just social skills and emotional regulation, but math and reading, writing, arithmetic, and relationships. Uh, the first, you know, do they have the ability to be self-aware? I don't have what I need. I don't have what I need. Uh, do they have the ability to self-advocate? Will you help me? Not do it for me, but teach me how to do it. Do they have the ability to have self-management, which is, okay, I think I can do it on my own. And do they have, once they're successful, that may be a cycle. They have to do one, two, three, one, two, three, one, two, three, until they get to four, which is self-motivation. What else can I change? So when people say, how do I build resilient children from the youngest years? I say, teach them how to learn those basic, you know, and what's amazing is I study the teachings of Christ, you know, his most famous sermon ever, the Sermon on the Mount. He goes through this. Blessed are the poor in spirit. That's self-awareness. I don't have what I need, mm, right? Mm. You know, blessed are those who mourn. That's a way of self-advocating, which receives comfort in return. You know, uh, and um, the third one is management. Blessed are the meek. I, I got this. I can do this. And blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. Okay, what else can I change? Like Jesus gave us the building blocks. And the next four are actually teaching. And so if you can get your child to teach whatever they learned to somebody else, that's a great way, way to learn something, mm, yeah. is to teach something. Yeah. So I, if you can teach them how to learn and then inspire them to teach someone else what they know, when it comes to any problem, a social problem with a kid, being excluded, being pushed around, they'll have the basic building block. So if they're suffering, if they're suffering, that's what I look for. In that suffering, blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. You need to come and comfort them and show them how to stop suffering. And that's where the, 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 the gap is. Parents don't know. They just think, I'm going to call the school. Or, I'm going to talk to that kid's parents. Or, I'm gonna, you know, I'm gonna, you're not allowed to hang out with them anymore. It, it, it's not going to help your child. You yeah. need to give the problem back to your child. And that's why I've created you know, Raise Them Strong, and I teach, kid, or teach parents how to help kids solve their own social mm, problems. Yeah, so. I think I'm going to sign up for your course. But I, 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 So this is an issue that comes up, and I'm sure it's not just my family. It comes up in every family, but... It's the constant uh, claim, that's not fair, yeah. or whatever. I actually told my son he's not allowed to use that phrase anymore, mm. that's not fair, Good. because yeah. it, w it's, it was so common that I was like, I made him write a paper on it of yeah. why you can't do that, because, um, but 
but it's still now he says that's not right instead of that's not fair. Mm-hmm. He switched the words, so, uh-huh. but but it's interesting to me because where do you draw the line between um, helping a kid to deal with it, but at the same time I'm telling my other child, okay, that wasn't a nice thing to say. Mm-hmm. You know what you said. Um, hey, you're fat, or mm-hmm. uh, you know whatever it might be. So as a parent, where do I draw that line between constantly telling them, you know, do I just let them call each other names and say, deal with it, you know, (laughs) or, you know, where's that line drawn? You know, it's better that you do that, stay out of it, than try to intervene and play judge. Really? So if you don't know how, let them be. Yeah, definitely. They will adjust to the sociodynamics and recognize, okay, that's the akuna matata. That is the, uh, that's that's the wrong phrase. (laughs) That's the I'm not, I'm not, yeah. Did you that's see a the wonderful Lion King recently? I did see the Lion King. What's the guy that's like the boss? <laughs> no, well, that's uh, Simba. I don't know. Yeah, yeah. But anyways, uh, if if we, I teach children. Here's what I love. What I do. There's only three reasons why someone's mean to you, and once you know why they're being mean to you, you'll know how to respond. So the three reasons why someone's being mean is number one, they're trying to be funny. They're not intentionally trying to hurt you. Mm. They're calling you fat because they think it's funny. Uh, the second reason why they might be mean to you is because they're trying to control you. They're trying to have power over you and upset you on purpose. Mm-hmm. The third reason why they're, trying to, they're being mean is because they're hurt by you. And so if I understand the three, what I call the triple threat trifecta, that there's humor, joking, there's power or dominating, and there's uh, hurting, you know, victimization. Well, if they're joking, I need to laugh. I need to take and make a joke about myself. Ah, you notice I'm fat? It's awesome. I don't have to wear a sweater in the winter. I'm like, human <laughs> crock pot, bring it. Come get a squishy hug. I can teach my kid to be funny. Or I teach my kid how to apologize because they're hurt. Are you mad at me? That's five words. I am sorry for that. That's five words. That'll get you out of a fight. Or are they just trying to psychologically have power over you? They love to drive you crazy. Hey, don't get upset. This is where patronizing happens. You know? You know, hey, I'm beautiful, and no matter what you say, words won't bring me down, so bring, don't bring me down today. It's teaching them how not to be phased by whatever tactics are employed to evoke out of you a negative reaction to get you upset. Mm. So, now, yeah, I, you, when you break it down in simple ways like that, a child can handle the social problem. Yeah, I, I actually um, was... the my kids were arguing at a restaurant and I said, okay, what we're going to do, we're going to have a contest. Everybody has to say something nice. You have to, whoever can say the most nice things back and forth, no matter what somebody says, you know, you win, right? So I was trying to do that. um, But my question for you is- Sarcasm will come in. You are the smelliest person (laughs) in the entire world. Yeah, that did come up actually. It'll backfire. (laughs) Yeah, it did. (laughs) It was like, uh, you have the smelliest uh, farts or whatever, something (laughs) like that. But the the thing is, is- um, you, I've noticed this when you were speaking at our school too. You have a lot of um, ways to respond to different scenarios. Mm-hmm. Is that something that you've taken the time to think through yeah. and just be like, okay, I've figured out ways to respond to these different attacks that come? Yeah, November this year will be 20 years doing it. Okay. <laughs> so I've thought of everything. Uh, there really isn't a question I've received that, that I haven't thought through. Uh, and so, yes, that when I t- say there's only three categories or motivations of aggression, hurting, joking, or um, controlling, you know, dominating, I mean it. Everything falls under that. So uh, that's the cool thing about 
listening to my teachings and, and really consuming them and then teaching your children these responses, you'll be using them every day mm. because it, I don't care what the aggression is. Maybe it's exclusion. Maybe it's pushing and shoving. Maybe it's name calling. Maybe it's talking bad about someone behind their back, which is indirect verbal aggression. Yeah. It doesn't matter. It goes back to these fundamental three motivations behind aggression. And we can give our kids apology skills, laughing skills, and resilience skills not to be dominated. Wow, that's fantastic. So uh, my guest today is Brooks Gibbs, brooksgibbs.com. And um, Brooks, if they sign up for the uh, training online, what can they expect to get out of that? Well, they'll get that resilience test to really see where their children is weakest. Your, your kid may be resilient to words, but when it comes to exclusion, they're really wounded. And so you know immediately with scalpel accuracy, my child is vulnerable in the area of social exclusion. And so you would immediately play them the social exclusion video in the program that teaches them the sociological value of exclusion. Birds of a feather flock together. We isolate and separate and congregate to preserve resources and values. Mm. And we don't want to be all-inclusive because bad company corrupts good morals. So they'll rethink the offense and actually realize, hey, this isn't that bad. And this has to do with clicks at school. We're, we're coming up on a break here, but I, this is very interesting too, because there's a lot of things, what you're, you're essentially doing is you're reframing things that essentially we, at a school, think of as negative, no clicks, no clicks. And, but you're saying, okay, let's rethink that and approach that from a different angle. Yeah, be friendly to everyone, but don't be friends with everyone mm. and don't expect them to be friends with you. That's really cool, okay. Uh, we have one more segment left. I hope you're enjoying the program so far. I, I really am. And uh, brooksgibbs.com, check it out. Uh, all kinds of resources on there that you can use. You can bring him to speak. I think you'll be very, very blessed uh, if he's on a stage. It's hilarious. The students love it. Very engaging, uh, really gifted communicator. And um, very uh, at a public school, uh, you know, he can he can speak to the audience uh, from a values-based values-based perspective. Uh, if you're at a Christian school, he he brings his Christian um, values and his beliefs into it also. So uh, you can't go wrong uh, with bringing Brooks to your school. Stay with us. We'll be right back. Gibson of LG Equipment supports Educate for Life with Kevin Conover. Luke grew up in the construction industry and now serves LG's commercial and residential customers throughout Southern California. Whether you need grading, paving, hauling, demolition, on-site bulk water service, water trucks, tankers, and towers, call LG Equipment at 619-998-0924. Learn more at lgequipment.com. 619-998-0924. Hey, thanks again for being with us. We're on the fourth segment here of our radio program in Southern California. We're based out of uh, uh, UTC specifically here, right near La Jolla, K-Praise, FM 106.1 and AM 1210. Um, and we're also all over the web. We're on YouTube. Brooks uh, mentioned just recently um, our program just went over a million views, so that's a big uh, milestone for us. Thank the Lord for that. And my guest today, uh, Brooks, 
is an expert on resilience. Um, this is a huge issue. I actually was reading an article about this recently um, that came out of Time Magazine. They did a whole thing, a whole magazine on happiness. And one of the big issues they were discussing was how to bounce back. Um, and this had to do with resilience. I thought it was really interesting what they what they said in here. Um, and Brooks, I, was, I wanted to get your thoughts on this. One of the things that they brought up, this was done by a, uh, this was a, st a study that was done, I believe at Yale. And one of the things they found, it says here, 47% is the amount of time people spend thinking about something other than what they're doing. And they actually said this was the enemy of resilience, um, which I, I thought, you know, it's not intuitive that not being present would automatically lead to not being resilient. Uh, do you have any thoughts on that? Well, I do think part of resilience is internalizing, uh, which would be the opposite of what the study shows. Um, so uh, you have to think about what you're thinking about, uh, which means that you lose uh, your sense of presence with others in that moment. Like, how am I processing what this person is saying? Mm -hmm. And so uh, internalization uh, and reframing and, and, and finding the good and the bad, there's three basic questions you have to ask to build resilience. Number one, it's uh, uh, how could this be worse? And we do that naturally, but kids have to be taught this. Like, okay, this bad thing happened, but how could this be worse? Uh, the second thing is, will, the, how, will this even matter in my future? No, it really won't matter. So I lower the importance of the offense. It won't really matter. And finally... Can any good come from this? So all that is a cognitive process to talk ourselves off the ledge of irrationality. Mm. And it is a very internal uh, thinking uh, effort that, that, that takes a tremendous amount of thought. Um, and so if you don't do that, you're not going to be resilient. I don't understand the study. Uh, yeah. I just know what I teach. And, yeah. and I tell kids to think about what they're thinking about. So um, is resilience something that... Uh is a part of what you're born with, or is this uh, purely something that's learned? Is there is there a uh, you know genetic predisposition to being more resilient or less resilient? I, I think so. You know, the metadata shows that uh, parenting it's definitely nurture nature. Um, parenting has a big part of it. You feel a lot more secure and strong when you have your foundation for life, your mom and your dad, like getting along at home, and uh, you have food, clothing shelter and, and acceptance from others, Maslow's hierarchy of needs. Yeah. Uh, what I would say is it can be learned though. It absolutely can be learned. Uh, we see the opposite happen. We see kids in like the Sudan who are ch child soldiers whose parents, they've been kidnapped from their parents and, and now they're in incredibly stressful environments, seeing trauma all around them. And they're able to uh, walk in line according to the hierarchical of authority. And they're able to take orders and give orders and they're able to live a great life afterwards if they have some good care to process what happened and know that they were wrong, but that doesn't define them. So it can be learned, and this is the good news. Though some children, even in the same home, uh, will be stronger than others. Mm. And it's just personality temperament. Uh, we don't know uh, what part of the brain that that, that that triggers. Maybe there's a hyper a hyper-aware amygdala that is remembering fears or thinking through processing potential fears, and so that triggers anxiety, and another one has a poorly developed amygdala. I don't know. Uh, what we do know is when you fill your cognitive capacity, your cerebral cortex, with skills, you can be smarter than your emotions, mm. and that's what we want for kids.
Yeah, and uh, I heard somebody talking about this, and they said that sometimes your perspective about reality is stronger than reality itself. Hmm. Uh, is that is that because a lot of what you're talking about is like you're saying reframing our experiences, looking at them from a different perspective, and this and this seems biblical to me too. Right, be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Right, but the statement, the concept that uh, you know, the perception of reality either is reality or stronger than reality. If you really geek out on that concept, it doesn't hold any water okay. because reality is reality. Yeah, your perception is your perception of reality. So there always has to be that distinction, right? So people say, "Hey, a child's perception of reality is reality." No, it's not. Mm. Reality is reality. And if we want reality to change, to accommodate me, we, we really do invite mental illness. But if we learn to be, adjust to reality and, and to not have such black and white thinking, all or nothing thinking, uh, those automatic negative thoughts, we have to cross-examine them with truth. And that's why the truth, which is reality, will set you free. Yeah. I love that. Now, we, we didn't really get to spend a lot of time on this, and we're, we're running out of time here, but you... Um, I was going to ask you how you came to make this your focus. And you said earlier in our show that you don't know of a lot of other people that are speaking to this issue from the perspective that you're giving it. Uh, and you, you're just about to wrap up your doctorate here. Mm -hmm. So why is it that there aren't more people speaking from it from the perspective that you are, which is rather than, okay, change my environment, it's change me to deal with my environment? Yeah, well, I think it's an American culture thing. And Mexico doesn't have a word for bully. And, and so it's interesting to hear their advice because they don't have the word bully and no other language in the world has a word bully. Uh, the advice when someone's trying to bother you is don't be bothered, you know, brush it off. Like, like don't, don't let it affect you. But because we have the word bully and because of the Columbine shooting and because of 20 years ago, we now have got to protect children from being wounded by words. And this, we just, we've drank in the haterade of the anti-bullying movement that says, I hate bullies and they deserve punishment, and kids should not be victimized. We have thrown our logic out. In fact, I always say, if the word bully is in the conversation, logic is not in the conversation. Uh, no sociologist worth his salt will use the word bully or bullying. They'll take a scientific approach. Oh, that's classic dominance behavior. Oh, they're just trying to be funny. Oh, they're hurt, they feel victimized, and they're trying to retaliate. We don't just have the sweeping umbrella word like abuse or bullying to describe all aggression amongst youth. So we have confused the marketplace. Why is bully such a bad word? Why is that? Uh, because it, uh, it's a, it's a, I heard one teacher say children bullying is everything from eye rolling to the Holocaust. Mm. Anything that has the power to hurt your feelings. And I say, no, ma'am. I stood up and I put my arm around her because she was introducing me. I said, eye rolling is a rude gesture. Holocaust is mass genocide. One causes emotional pain if you let it. The other causes objective body pain, you know, no matter what you think about it. So... So we're confusing science on, on social aggression, and we have overly simplified to a fault what kids are going through. Innocent victim, guilty bully, and any parent with more than one kid say, knows that's just not how relationships work. Yeah. So we're confused, and we need, edu we need education. That, that word basically, from a, it just confuses the issue because there's no strict definition of, quote, bully, right? Or, right. Yeah. In 1560 was when it was invented, it was a Shakespearean term, and the word bully meant love. So I find that ironic. The modern problem of bullying has a historical ancient solution. Love your enemy. Do good to those who hurt you. It actually used to meant good. Bully for you meant good for you in the 1900s. 
So if we just look at history and we take a little time to think and we, and we really take a, a, a smart approach to aggression, we can help children stop being victimized. Well, Brooks, I really want to thank you for being on the radio program today. It's been a real big blessing. I love it, man. You're doing such great work, Kevin. Thanks. Uh, you know, brooksgibbs.com. Please check him out. Um, I love, love, love what he's doing. And I, th I think that, you know, from a family perspective, raising your kids from the perspective of getting along with your spouse, it's huge. Um, just the ability to um, return hateful words or whatever it is with love and with a, something that um, actually dims things down uh, doesn't make things worse. And that's completely biblical. The Bible is very clear about it. Um, a kind word turns away wrath. And so we just have to learn how to better respond to people that are speaking in hostility, right? Um, as Christians, we want to represent Christ well, but also um, the Bible says live at peace as much as it is possible with those around you. And these skills are important to getting that down. Um, so brooksgibbs.com, check it out. Um, He's got a training course on there also that will help you to be able to know where your kids are at and also help you to be able to raise them to be emotionally resilient and strong. Okay, thanks for being with us today. We're at, we're uh, time's up. So uh, we'll be having an another program actually very quickly here with Nathaniel Jensen. He's a Harvard uh, biologist who says that evolution is gone. He actually wrote a book called Replacing Darwin. And uh, that'll be coming up very shortly. Thanks for being with us. Take care. Did you miss part of today's program? Don't worry, we're committed to helping you get the info you need. Okay, that was dumb. But for real, visit educateforlife.com for podcasts and video recordings of the show and to sign up for the School of Unshakable Faith. Leave us your comments, compliments, questions, or concerns at 800 243